So good evening, everybody. Uh, this is the first in a series of three webinars directed at supporting the DCIS family um, cohort. Um, and the first one is quite a generic one. It's about how we are coping as families. So the first question is, how are you? I like this little um, picture that was sent to me. We are not all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm. And that is so true. As the school's psychologist, I have spoken to many, many students, many parents, many members of staff. And it seems like each situation is very unique. People have different living situations. People have different financial situations. People have different um, perceptions. Um, so it really is um, a storm that we're all in, but very, very different experiences for everybody. And I think that's very important to acknowledge for ourselves and when we're supporting others. And the other thing is that we are all different. So we respond differently. We go through the same stuff differently, as that lovely picture shows um, of those two being in the mud. For some people, it's like dipping your toes in, and others, it's a full body wash. Um, so it's just recognizing that um, this situation is different. So I can't give a, a webinar on, oh, well, do this, do that, and you'll be fine, because everybody is different. Now, where are we? We are in a unique situation, there's no question about it. We, um, those of us, all of the staff at Dover Court were in quarantine, hundreds of students. Um, really difficult situation. The minute we came up quarantine, the circuit breaker happened. So when you talk to people from other international schools, I don't know that anybody has been through what we've been through at Dover Court. Um, and tied in with the dot and working from home. So our children doing dot and us working from home. Um, you're probably luckier if you're if you're um, you don't have to do a high pressure job from home. But whatever it is, those are pressures which really put families under an immense situation, immense pressure, and a situation that we wouldn't wish on anybody. We have we are not prepared for. Um, most parents aren't prepared to be teachers and it's just a question of recognizing that actually this is a situation none of us are prepared for therefore oops, my, uh, we need to be aware of the impact now just scan through these statements and if there are any that pertain to you or your family then you are normal. This is normal in a trauma, okay? Exhaustion, a lot of people talk about no energy, absolute exhaustion. Lots of teachers talk about that in relation to DOT. Lots of parents have mentioned it. Anxiety, irritability, snapping. I spoke to someone today who had snapped at somebody and they felt terrible, but that's what happens. People being fearful, we'll talk about a bit more about that later. Not sleeping, very common. Flashbacks to 
whatever it is that has happened, flashbacks to leaving school on that day, coming to pick your children up, very understandable, a fear of losing control and we have lost control. We have to suck that up. We have lost control of a lot of things and that is one of the major uh, difficulties we're facing. Children, difficulty concentrating, difficulty focusing, feeling ill, headaches, stomach ache. And then also people who are being completely inappropriate or seemingly inappropriate, manic outbursts, um, being rude, being difficult, being reactionary. Those are all linked to or can all be linked to the trauma that we're experiencing. And I say all of this not to be particularly negative and we do get more positive later on, but just to acknowledge that this is not a minor blip. This is a major blip for everybody. And we have to take that on board and understand that we can manage it, but we are dealing with something unprecedented. And as parents and, you know, older children, we might have some older children watching here. We need to try to be calm, compassionate, and we have to be brave. And we're often asked to be all of those things at the same time. So let's go a little bit into the theory. What can we do about our problems? And I like this little picture, which is about separating what you can control from what you can't control. So this is a little kind of cartoony thing. And it says, I cannot control so I can let go of these things. Now, the amount of toilet paper at the store is something that you can't have any um, control over and it doesn't matter too much. Um, and, but there are other things there which do matter. But if you can't control them, then it's not helpful to spend a lot of time and energy on them. The things that you can control here are what we need to focus on. And that's what we're going to talk about um, now. And there are different ways of doing those things. So, so there are problems you can do something about. And with those problems, we use something called solution-focused coping. Okay, so the things you can control, you can solution focus those things. You can look at them and work out a solution. I'll do an example in a minute. What problems can you do nothing about? Okay, and we know quite a lot of those, particularly the virus. Um, what can you not do anything about? How do we cope with something you can't change? We need emotion focused coping for that. We need to learn how to impact our emotions and not let them run away with us because that's when we become overwhelmed and that's not helpful um, for anybody and it, it, it's scary, it's not nice if we become overwhelmed by our emotions. So this is what we're going to talk about, about how to kind of support ourselves and each other using these approaches. Coping is what we do to make a bad situation better or to make us feel better about a situation. So to make a bad situation better, maybe solution focused, to make us feel better about the situation 
is emotion focused. And coping strategies should improve the situation or make us feel better or both and not harm you or anyone else. Now, this is a lovely little um, uh, slide from a children's approach, um, which I absolutely love. It's very, very simple. But the, if these things work, if these things, I'm just letting some other people in. Um, if these things are, um, if we remember this, it, sorry, there are people waiting. I'm trying to admit them. Um, if we can remember things, it can be very, very helpful. So, for example, uh, drinking alcohol, maybe doing something distracting like gambling. Okay, those things can improve the situation in the short term. And they can make us feel better. But in the long term, they can cause harm. And so it really helps to get a handle on the types of coping strategies that we have in our, um, in our arsenal, if you like. What do we have in our arsenal that is helpful? So I wanted to talk to you about um, different types of problem. And... Um, one that I've come across quite a bit is this thing about mask aversion. I've come across students and teachers who don't want to wear a mask. So they don't want to go outside because they hate wearing a mask. Now, this is something that you can have control over. To be honest, I'm not sure anybody likes wearing masks straight away, do they? But with solution-focused coping, this would encourage you to think of things that you can try to address this dislike or fear of masks. And this is a really important thing to overcome because we are going to be wearing masks for a long time. So just, I don't know if you're on your own or, or hopefully you're with somebody else, maybe just think of a, a strategy that you could use if somebody in your family really didn't want to put the mask on. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to think, discuss a strategy that is a solution-focused strategy that you can do to solve this problem. Okay, so I'm gonna give you 30 seconds for that while I let some other people in. Okay, so what did you come up with? Um, uh, my strategies were that we separated it, separate it because they don't want to go outside and they don't want to wear a mask. So one would be wear a mask inside, short periods of time until you can tolerate it and then step outside of the house or, or the apartment for short periods of time until you can tolerate it. So you break these challenges down into steps and you can, it is something, you have to be brave, and being brave is something we're all going to have to really work on. But it is something that can be overcome. What about this? This is different. A friend or relative who has the virus in another country. And I'm really, really sorry if this has happened to you. It's a situation you cannot do anything about. 
you can't visit, you can't help. And it is something you do not have control over. There may be a few things you can do by contacting other people who are nearby, but even they won't be able to do anything. So all you can do is trust and wait. It's very worrying. What you need to do to survive this is to develop emotion-focused coping strategies, which would encourage you to find ways to manage your feelings about this, or you could become overwhelmed, and you may very well in these situations become overwhelmed. And if you do become overwhelmed, you need to know that it doesn't last forever. These things come in waves, and I'm gonna talk more about this um, in this webinar next week. Um, but, uh, it is really important to have some strategies that will help you in these absolutely horrible situations. So I go to um, the theory. I'm an educational psychologist. We always go to the theory. And this book isn't a brilliant book. I wouldn't recommend to read it just because it's very dense. But this is where some really good theory comes from. It comes from the Community Stress Prevention Center in Israel. Well, let's face it, they've got lots and lots of experience, many different people having to cope with horrible things. It's called Basic pH, and it's a model, which I'm going to show you now. The research shows that everyone has their own way of coping with difficult situations. And this model enables people, us, to identify our key patterns of coping, to develop the helpful ones, and expand our coping strategies and to deepen our coping strategies. I'm not going to go into this in any great depth, but if we just go around from the top uh, in a clockwise fashion, for example, people who have a strong faith or are very spiritual, they're very often at an advantage for um, managing traumatic situations because they have a um, something to hang on to. They can pray. They, they have ideas and resources that can be very, very helpful. So belief is very, can be very helpful if you have a belief. Affect, emotions. Who hasn't had a good cry in this situation? I'd be very surprised if you haven't had a good cry and a good cry what happens afterwards you feel better you've let out the emotions if you don't want to cry you can write right i hate this i hate that i hate this you don't send it you don't give it to anybody but it gets out your emotions i have done um i did an abc recently and i just carried on i put it on linkedin just it just poured out so it helps it helps to express your emotions the next one is social. Are you mainly social? Do you, de do you depend on particular people to support you? Um, do you ring somebody up when something goes wrong? Uh, your family obviously is a great resource usually. So um, the social aspect is really important and obviously some people are very social and some people aren't. The next one is being imaginative and this is what we see with children. Children process cope with stress, young children particularly, very well if they're allowed to play. Their imagination takes over and they process their emotions through play. Play is really important at this particular time. 
there are other things people do. They will, um, songwriters, how do they, you know, what do they do? Songwriters make up songs um, and that's how they process their emotions. Artists will draw and paint. They have a way to express themselves. So that's a really important area. The area of cognitive processing is probably what most of us are doing. Certainly teachers are great cognitive processors, um, which is where you look for solutions, you um, make a plan, you make a routine. I think a lot of people have a, a good routine, don't they? And they have a timetable and this, that and the other. That's another way of processing and getting a handle on the problem. And lastly, one of the, the most important on top of all of this, or at least this needs to be at least 50%, is the physiological, the healthy. We need to sleep. We need to eat well. We need to do exercise. We know all of those things, but are we doing them? And are they balanced? So that's the kind of background to coping which can be very, very helpful and very therapeutic. But let's just have a look about what families may or may not be doing. Have a look at these and see what you do as a family to cope. Most young kids will remember how their family home felt during the coronavirus panic. More than anything specific about the virus, this is very true. I got this from Facebook. Our kids are watching us and learning about how to respond to stress and uncertainty. And what we're aiming to do is to wire our kids for resilience and not panic, which is why calm is really important, why breathing is really important. All of these things are lovely ways to cope together. And I'm just going to go through um, some of the ones that I think are quite important. The first one is breathing. There is no question, and it's you know a physiological um, reality, that breathing, when you're worried or you can't sleep, breathing is really, really helpful. And um, I think a lot of people have come around to that. A lot of people I know have come around to that in, uh, during this time. So I'm going to take you through the box breathing activity. Now, this is something which is um, used for panic attacks, but it is also good just to do to relax and calm yourself. It will slow your heart rate. You can't do it um, otherwise. I mean, it, it definitely works. So have a look at the instructions in the box. I'm going to read them out. And just sit yourself straight on your chair arms by your sides and do three deep breaths in through the nose out through the mouth starting now in out in out a bit slower in out now we'll do the box so just breathe normally for a second while I explain. Imagine in your head, you can close your eyes if you like, I think it helps, drawing a box. We start at the top left-hand corner and the side of the box is a count of four. So we go across the top, down the side, across the bottom, and up the other side to close the box. I'm gonna do this three times. 
So breathe in for a count of four, two, Hold it. Breathe out. Hold it. Again, in. Hold. Out. Hold. Do it two more times on your own. Okay, so that's just one of many, many breathing techniques. I hope you feel that your um, heart rate is down, you're a little bit calm than you were before. Um, but really, good breathing is so good for your mental health and your physical health. And there are two apps for your phone that I really recommend here. One is for kids, the Breathe Kids app, very, very well-known uh, sorry, yeah, breathe, I have read it, I spelled it right. Um, and the other is Headspace. They're both really, I use Headspace uh, a lot. Um, and they're really, really helpful to um, help you for calming, for sleep time, for just relaxation, for maybe getting ready for work. Lots and lots of um, uh, good applications. Please look into breathing if you haven't already. Many of you will have done. Keeping calm is really important. Breathing is part of that. If we just read the left-hand side, a calm environment is important for mental health and learning. It's not always possible to keep calm, but when it happens at home, notice the impact of it and encourage whatever activities help calm. So emotional regulation is the topic of next week's webinar, as this is a skill we can all help our kids learn and we can improve on. Sleep is a very important key to emotional regulation. Um, so I just want to reiterate that. There are two apps that I would recommend for this. One is the Zen Studio for children. It's like a mindfulness drawing app, but it is lovely. Um, and I would, um, I would recommend that. Uh, nice calming app for children if they're all wired up. Um, just get that on their phone and um, let them do it, calm them down. The other one is Calm. Lots of people like the Calm app. Um, I, I get annoyed by running water. Oops, sorry. I get annoyed by running water, but um, the Calm app is good. And this one is in your resources pack. There will be some resources emailed out to you um, after this. And the Relax Kids website here is absolutely brilliant for that. So, um, there are more resources there, but easy, apps are easy, aren't they? they? Just take two seconds to download. Okay, the other thing I wanted to talk about, because I'm talking to families here, is um, the power of touch. It's not always recognized, 
um, some families, of course, all over it. Um, otherwise, it isn't always recognized because it's terribly powerful. Um, and so I'm talking about hugs here, but also massage uh, comes into this. Of course, none of us can go and have our nice massages on the weekend. If anybody was used to doing that, it's when the advantages have been in Asia. Um, but just think a little bit about a good old hug. And it is really important, particularly if you've got people who are not too into hugs or, um, you know, particularly maybe, uh, you know, slightly older children who, who think they don't want to hug their, their mom or their dad or their brother or their sister. It is really important to ask. Not everyone is always in the mood for a hug. Even someone who normally likes might be fed up. Um, so ask, do you need a hug? Do you want a hug? Please, can I give you a hug? I need one. Can I have a hug? Encourage empathy. And it's really important when it comes to touch that there is always an option to say no. So if you don't want to be hugged, say, say so. Maybe later, not just now, but thank you. No thanks, but I love you. I'm just not feeling like it. But don't underestimate, please, the power of touch. I think there are lots of parents who are um, cuddling in with their children, lots of children coming in in the middle of the night uh, at the moment. Touch is really, really powerful and not to be underestimated and to be encouraged um, uh, if you sense that somebody really could do with a hug but they're being a bit standoffish, you can ask and they can say no or they might say yes. Okay, uh, <clears throat> the next little bit was about um, the emotional environment of the home language. It's the research. So if we look at the challenge negativity, the research is very clear that it's helpful to, it is helpful to um, take notice of the level of negativity in your home. And I know that particularly in homes with older children, it can become all negative or very quickly become negative. Three to one is a golden rule. Three positive comments to every negative one. You can make that into a bit of a family game or a challenge. Try and it's better to say something positive than to not say anything because otherwise all that's being said is negative. If that makes sense. So try the three to one. And if everybody in the house does it, means you can get away with it. I'm fed up with you, but I really like the fact that you helped me make the dinner tonight. Makes can make a massive difference because it's about attention. Everybody does good things. Uh, notice the good um, and comment on it because that will encourage it. The next, the other one is reframing. Okay, so don't smile at this, but don't be naughty. It's about the most useless phrase with young children. You might know what you think it means, but younger children often have no idea or a different idea to you of what they have done, which is naughty. I meet children all the time, you know, and, and they said, but, you know, I was naughty. I was bad. And that's why I'm in trouble. I said, well, what did you do? A lot of the time they don't know. They just don't know what they did that was naughty. So please be specific about the behavior that you want from others in the house. Ask politely ask kindly make it very clear what you don't want but better still make it very clear what you do want okay being grateful grateful is another research-based um, activity so just very quickly while you're here 
I would like you to think of three things that you were grateful for that happened today. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Think through three things that you were grateful for that happened today. Okay, so three things that um, I was grateful for. It stopped raining, I could walk my dogs. I love going outside. My husband cooked my dinner and I talked to my son today. And that's, it. research shows, please don't dismiss this. Research shows you do this every day. You can do it around the dinner table. Um, you can write it in a journal. It's very powerful if you do it on a regular basis. Being grateful is one of the, the, the things we need to pay attention to because even in these really challenging times, we have a lot to be grateful for. Okay, so I like this picture because this is the sort of environment that a lot of you are in at the moment. Um, and so another piece, uh, another thing that I wanted to talk to you is about your opportunity to share with your children more about your life your family history, and your work. You are certainly learning more about their schooling than you ever knew, probably. And I was talking to a class in Dover Court this week, and one little girl, one young woman, rather, told me, um, uh, I said, what nice thing did you do on the weekend? And she said, my dad taught me how to whistle. So she learned to whistle on the weekend, and she hadn't known before. There must be something that you can do which you can pass on to your children, um, which adds to the value of this amazing time that you do have with them. When it comes to DOT, I think it is, this is a massive, massive issue for a lot of people. And I think one of the things that we might sometimes miss is that children have to be ready for learning. We spend a lot of time in school getting them ready, making sure that they're ready to learn and for that they need to have had enough sleep they need to have eaten they need to have exercised we need to have some brain oxygen in their brains from breathing they need to feel safe they need to be reassured they need to be calm you can't be learning if you're agitated so play is a very good way to calm children down routine helps but it is really important to pay attention to this when does your child work best? Does it have to be a, you know, synchronous learning? Can, can they do it at another time? Where do they work best? The environment's really important, that's why we have school. How do they work best? What are they interested in? What else is education that you can provide them? And of course, the adult, it's really important that you look after yourselves. So family values, this is, a time to look at your strengths as a family. Think about what you like doing together, what you're most important to you. What are your values? Can you make a motto? This is a lovely idea and gets an opportunity around the dinner table to really talk about what you stand for as a family. Um, a great opportunity involving everybody to contribute to some kind of motto. 
So thank you very much for listening. Um, the webinar and resources are available from communications, but I think if you've signed up, you will be emailed them. Next week, we'll go more into the emotion ro roller coaster. And after that, we're going to do adolescence. But please, if you want to talk to me, if you have any questions, email me and I'd be very happy to respond to your emails. Very happy to have a chat about anything um, that's specific to you and your family. So take care. Um, and thank you very much for, for being here. Have a lovely evening. Thank you for listening to the Dover Court podcast. Please subscribe to our channel.